We're going to continue our study in the book of John, starting in uh, verse 1, chapter 14. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So last week we saw where Judas was leaving to betray Jesus. We've, we've been in, uh, in this place that's called the upper room discourse. They're in the upper room. Jesus is there with, with his disciples. And Jesus is going to be encouraging them. We saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Last week we saw where Judas is uh, betraying Jesus. He's on his way to betray Jesus. And so this week... The conversation with his disciples continues and Jesus wants to encourage them because as we talked last week, there's just a lot of things that are coming down over the next 24 hour period that they're going to need that encouragement to get through. Uh, Ray Stedman, I don't know if uh, any of you have heard of him, but Ray Stedman, he summarizes this this time, this upper room discourse like, like this. Uh, This passage is known as the Upper Room Discourse, takes us into the intimate thoughts of Jesus just before his crucifixion. Some have called this the Holy of Holies of Scripture. That is, if you think of Scripture as a temple, then this is the sanctuary where you come into the very presence of God himself. By means of Jesus' words to his disciples, we are permitted to enter into his thinking and emotions just before his crucifixion. Within hours of this time in the upper room, the Lord would be hanging upon a cross, and in less than 24 hours, he was dead and buried. These, therefore, constitute the last words of Jesus before his death. And in this deep and penetrating passage of Scripture, our Lord is laying his heart bare before his disciples and before us. So in the next three chapters... Jesus encourages his disciples, he exhorts his disciples, he warns his disciples, and he prays for his disciples. And also in these next three chapters, we're going to see that Jesus encourages us, exhorts us, warns us, and prays for us as well. So as we look carefully then at this passage, we're going to begin to see more clearly into the heart of our Lord. He wants us to know and understand what he's saying. He wants us to know his complete understanding of our needs and his preparations and provision for us. So what does he say? What does he start off with in this passage? Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled, troubled, worried, stressed. How do we do that? How do we let not our heart be troubled? His answer is right after that. Believe in God and believe in me. His answer for a troubled heart is what? One word, believe. 
Now, all of us, we're masters at troubled hearts, aren't we? <laughs> Some of us come in this morning with something heavy on our hearts. I would imagine all of us. There's something that all of us are dealing with to one degree or another. Whatever that might be, whatever it is, we carry that with us and we're troubled by it. It's just things that are on our mind, things that are going on in our lives right now, whatever it may be through, uh, through deaths in the family, through finances, through illness, through any number of things could be heavy on our hearts this morning. And the Lord is saying what to us? Let not your heart be troubled. Remember what he said to Martha, Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. We looked at this a month or so ago. Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Remember, Jesus is at the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Martha's up-serving. Mary is where? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she gets a little upset with her sister because she's not serving like she is. And so what does Jesus say to her? It's the equivalent of saying, Martha, let not your heart be troubled. Mary has chosen that good part. Now what is the one thing here that Jesus is referring to? Spending time at the feet of Jesus. Spending time worshiping Jesus knowing who he is and what he has said. Okay, that's not one thing. That's several things. <laughs> so what is the one thing? Believe. Believe in who he is and what he says. But to look at this verse in context, you know, if you've been familiar with the way Calvary Chapel teaches through the scriptures, we like to teach the text in context. What comes before it? What comes after it? Here's where the text is. Here's what it's saying, and it all ties together. You don't just reach in, grab a scripture, hold it up, and go, oh, I'm looking at this scripture, and this is what it says. It's got to be not only taught, but learned in context. That's where the heart, the, the meat of the message is for us. So why were the hearts of the disciples troubled? Why would Jesus say this to them? Well, we can come up with at least three reasons just from our text last week. John 13.30, Judas is betraying. That would cause their hearts to be troubled. John 13.33, Jesus is leaving. That would certainly cause their hearts to be troubled. And John 13.38, Peter denying. Jesus saying that he is going to deny him. Now that's enough to kind of set you back. One of the twelve is going to betray Jesus. Jesus himself is talking about leaving. And Peter, the rock, <laughs> is going to deny Jesus. Of course they're troubled. There's a lot going down. But in this time, in this time of troubled hearts on the part of the disciples, Jesus is going to comfort them even in this time. Now, that says something for our Lord because he's got a lot going on as well, doesn't he? The next 24 hours for him is going to be huge. He could be totally stressed out. He could be totally troubled. And it's not that he isn't, but what's his focus? Just like we talked last week, he's talking to the guys that are going to carry this ministry on, right? That he's going to entrust his ministry to, to reach the world. And so in these last hours, Jesus, for the love of his disciples, is giving them words of encouragement. 
He's teaching them. He's further equipping them for what's about to take place. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus has a lot to say about trouble in our life. He takes a whole section of Scripture that he talks about worry. How many of us worry? We all do, don't we? We worry about, well, we worry about worrying even. <laughs> we just worry about all kinds of things. Uh, things that get heavy on our heart and we just worry and worry and worry. And what did Jesus teach regarding worry in Matthew chapter 6? Well, after teaching them about all the things to not worry about, don't worry about this or that, Jesus tells them in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He goes on to say in 6, 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Now, what are the two main themes in these two verses? Worrying and seeking. They're connected. When we are worrying, we should be seeking. When we are troubled, we should be seeking. Seeking what? He tells us the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This world, as believers, this world is not our home, is it? We're just visiting for a time, if you will. It's not our permanent residence. We're temporary residents on this earth. And Jesus wants us to have an eternal focus, an eternal perspective He's saying, what you're going through right now is temporary. It's earthly. It's earthly things. Uh, we used to have a gentleman in the church over uh, in Greeley that he was a very earthly, common guy. And uh, you used to, if you were complaining about something or telling something's going on, his statement was, oh, that's just everyday stuff. <laughs> And there's such depth in that statement, isn't there? It's just everyday stuff. We go, all of us, through everyday stuff all the time, don't we? And it's just everyday stuff because we should have a focus, a perspective on what? The eternal. And looking at it in, in that light, the trouble, the worry, it puts it in perspective that it's you know what, it's really kind of just a small thing in the, in the big picture, isn't it? It's heavy on our hearts right now, but the God who created the universe, really not a big deal for Him at all to take care of it, is it? The things that we just get so gripped about, how He's able to just provide for, or heal, or do whatever it is that He wants to do, it's a not a big deal for our God. So if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we have that opportunity to look, to be able to see it from God's perspective, don't we? So Jesus exhorts his disciples and us to don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Why? Why would he say that? Why would he say that and just leave it hanging? Well, he doesn't, does he? It's not like it's something that he just says, don't let your heart be troubled. And then goes off to some other subject matter. Now he goes on to tell us how we can handle that. How it can be uh, taken care of, if you will, by spending time with him, by seeking him, by seeking first the kingdom of God. He says, let not your heart be troubled. So if you look at that for what it says, he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled. 
It's a command, isn't it? Don't let your heart be troubled. And we know, we've said before, that Jesus' commandments are also His enablements. He's not going to command us to do something without giving us the capacity or the power to overcome it, right? To take care of it. His commandments are His enablements. So the very thing that He commands us to do, He's also going to give us what's needed to accomplish it. We can rest in that. If He's commanded us to do something, don't let your heart be troubled, then He's also going to give us what we need to not let our hearts be troubled. He's got promises for us. We're going to see these promises as we move through this text, these promises to comfort us. And we're going to see four distinct promises in our scripture this morning. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So promise number one, heaven is a real place. Heaven is real. It's the dwelling place of God. And Jesus is saying to them, to these disciples and to us, I used to live there. (laughs) Jesus came from the Father. Jesus came down from heaven. Heaven is real. It's a real place. It's a place that we can look forward to. Seek first what? The kingdom of God. Seek first God's kingdom, where God resides. Go to the very throne room of grace itself when you're struggling with something, when you're troubled by something. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. If heaven wasn't real, Jesus would have said, well, don't worry about heaven. It's not a real place. (laughs) He doesn't do that, does he? he? He talks a lot about heaven. He also says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now we've talked over the past couple weeks, those certain verses that come out that ought to have the reverb turned all the way up on them. I go to prepare a place for you, 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 you know, for you, for you, each one of you, me. He goes to prepare a place for us. Now think about this again. Since Jesus is God, God created everything, (laughs) the universe as we see it. If he's going to prepare a place for us, it's going to be a pretty nice place, isn't it? It's going to be a special place. It's going to be a great place. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. The Greek here for mansion is actually rooms. So the old hymn, some of you may be familiar, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Actually, God has a mansion, you have a room, okay? You've got to keep it in perspective. It's not entirely correct what that hymn says. It does give us something to look forward to, and it's going to be a nice room. It's going to be a room that's perfectly suited for us because he's preparing it for us, isn't he? You just go, man, if he knows everything about me, which he does, knows every hair on my head or lack thereof, then the room that he prepares for us is going to be perfectly suited for us, right? That's exciting. Remember when you were a kid and maybe one of your siblings moved out and you were going to get the next room? You know, maybe, I know for me it was in the basement. Yes. <laughs> the basement room. It's the coolest room. And it really wasn't. It was smelly. My brothers used to be in there, you know. It was smelly. <laughs> but it was like, 
oh, wow, this is going to be such a great room. We look forward to things like that, right? You buy a new house, you start looking at the rooms, and you think, oh, wow, we're going to do this with this room and this with this room. All of that just pales in comparison to our room, the room that He, our Lord and Savior, is preparing for us. It's an exciting thing. It's God's house, and we get a room there. Remember the song from a few years ago? It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Remember that? Oh, great. I thought that would just kind of hang out there and nobody would know. But <laughs> it's a big house with lots of rooms, and he's preparing one of those rooms especially for us. And if you went outside, you might see now a neon sign flashing vacancy. Vacancy. Why? Because it's still open, isn't it? There's going to become a time when it switches to no vacancy. But right now, vacancy, there's still rooms available. There's still room for more. Promise number one, heaven is real. It's a place God has custom made our room for us that we can look forward to. Promise number two, he says, I go there to prepare a place for you. Because you believe in God and in me, I'm going there to get your room ready. That's our second promise. Heaven is real. I go to pre prepare a place for you. It's a promise of an eternal dwelling place. Promised by Jesus, prepared by Jesus. Because, why? Because we believe. Another song from a few years ago just kind of popped in my mind. I have that. So Chris calls them eight-track flashbacks. <laughs> but this is not quite that old. Remember the song, I can only imagine what it was. Oh, what a great song. I mean, it, just, it stirred things up in us, didn't it, when we heard that? Yeah, I can just imagine what it's going to be like. And whatever it is we imagine it's going to be like, it just totally blows that away, doesn't it? We can't really, really the song should say, I can't really imagine what it would be like. But then it just doesn't really work with the tempo, so I can see why they did what they did. So songs like that just send our minds whirling. What will heaven be like? What will it look like? Remember, it's only heaven because it's the dwelling place of God. God dwells there. That's what makes it heaven. We're in the presence of God. That's what makes it heaven. Not how well our room is decorated, right? We won't have to have pictures hanging on the wall of angels. Will we look out the window, you know? <laughs> right? Can I get an amen on that? Huh? <laughs> it's what makes it heaven. We're in the very presence of God in this room custom prepared for us, which is proof positive we're special to Him, aren't we? We're very special to Him. So when He says to us, let not your heart be troubled, yes, it's something that's equipping us. It's something that teaches us. But He's saying it from a heart of a Lord who, who is very concerned for us. He cares for us. He wants to comfort us, doesn't he? Let not your heart be troubled. He's saying, I don't want to see you troubled. There's no need for that. I am here for you. Believe. Believe. John 17, 16 says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When we get to John chapter 17, it's going to be what I consider to be the Lord's Prayer. Most scholars do. Uh, back in Matthew, that prayer that we saw when we looked at it before is more of a pattern for prayer. But this is Jesus' prayer to the Father interceding for His disciples. And we're going to see for us, 
directly as well. In John chapter 17, when we get there in a couple years. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So promise number one, heaven is real. Promise number two, I'm going to prepare your room. Can you see even just the first two promises? Why we could grasp, let not your heart be troubled. Look at that, what we have to look forward to. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, no one understands the language here. Jesus is not saying, if I go and if I prepare a place for you. He's saying, I am going and I will prepare a place for you. Why? Because you believe in God and in me. And because you believe, I'm going to prepare your room. And then the next promise, promise number three, I'm coming back for you. So in the midst of this troubled heart situation they're going through, each one of them, about Jesus saying he was going to be leaving, now we see what? He's answering that very thing, right? Where I'm going, you cannot go. But he's saying here, I'm coming back. I'll come again. I will come again and receive you to myself. That's his promise. He's coming back for those who believe, coming back to claim that which belongs to him. When? We don't know. But we're exhorted throughout Scripture to be watching for him, aren't we? We are to be watching and waiting for his return. You can say, Pastor Jim, I've heard teachings about end times and all these things for all these years. And you say, and other pastors say, Jesus could come back at any time. You've been saying that for years. Yes, we have. And we're one day closer, right, to that happening. He could come back at any time. Things are, the stage is set. We are to be watching and waiting for his return. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Hold your place in John. And turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. So, do you know what it's like when you're a pastor and you look down at your notes and you say, turn to a particular scripture with such confidence and realize it's actually in Mark. Mark chapter 13. <laughs> Mark chapter 13, starting at verse 32. I started reading and it was like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Mark chapter 13, starting at verse 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. What, what day are we talking about for the, the return of the Lord, right? No one knows. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, crowing of the rooster, we don't crown roosters, there's no point in that, <laughs> crowing of the rooster in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch, 
So what's going on there? The master's leaving. He's leaving all the servants to do what still needs to be done and then continue to watch for the master, right? There's still work to be done. Don't just stop doing the work. Continue doing what he's commanded you to do and be watching. Be watching. That's a message for us, isn't it? We don't know when he's returning, but we are to live as if it could be today. Living and ready for his return. And what does it mean to be ready? Continue to be believing. Continue to believe in God and Him, as he says in verse 1. While we are believing, watching, waiting, we are to be spreading His message, fulfilling His great commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you know it well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Go and make disciples. What's he saying to these guys? Go and make more guys like yourselves, right? You're my disciples. I have taught you. I have equipped you. Now you to go, go out and duplicate that, multiply, right? To continue to do that. Now that wasn't just for then. It's for now as well. We are to continue to make disciples. So we share the gospel with people. And when they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we have opportunity to teach them, equip them further in their walk with the Lord for the purpose of what? That they too as disciples could go out and share and equip and train. So you can see, it's, it's, it's just like this salvation conspiracy almost, isn't it? <laughs> God had this all worked out, and he had this whole way of reaching the world for Christ through his disciples, which we are a part of. We are to be spreading his message. Think of it this way. He says, I am coming back. You don't know when, no one does, except who? God. We saw that in the scripture. So what will you be doing when I come? I encourage you to be believing, to be obeying. He says, I will come again for you who believe. Question is, do you believe? If you believe, here's another promise for you. Promise number four, you will be with me. That where I am, there you may be also. I promise that I'm coming back for you. You are going to be where I am. You will be with me. You will be where I am for eternity. So that room that he prepares for us, he's right there too. You think, well, how can he be in my room and be in somebody else's room? And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be heaven. I don't fully understand everything, but we're going to be in his presence. So he's going to be there. We're going to be there with him. It says, you will be with me. John chapter 13, verse 33, we saw last week, Jesus said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, at least for now, because we see him saying that in verse or in chapter 13, but in chapter 14 here in our text, what does he say? You will be with me, that where I am, you may be also. I'm going away right now, but I will come back. I will return for you because you believe. And when I come back to get you, you will be with me for eternity. You'll be with me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Look at those four promises that we have. If we're seeking first the kingdom of God, those four promises, heaven is real. I'm going to prepare a room for you there. I will come again to get you. 
to take you back to your room, right? So that you will be with me. He's got it all worked out. We don't let, need to let our hearts be troubled. Why? He's got the plan all in place. It all comes down to what we are focused on. What's our perspective? If we're focused on the problem, if we're focused on that thing that's troubling us, it gets in the way of having the freedom to being released from that, of actually seeing Jesus for who He is and what He's done for us, right? To rest on His promises. There's another old hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. Great old hymn. You've never heard that? Uh, well, you probably won't ever hear. But still, <laughs> Standing on the Promises of God. Great, great old hymn. Check it out if you get a chance. So He goes on to tell His disciples in verse 4, And where I go you know, and the way you know. The inference here is that what? They already know where he's going and they know how to get there. But then Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? You just said, where I go, you know. I don't know where you're going and the way you know. And I don't know the way either. Lord, how am I going to get there? Thomas is saying, I don't get it. What does Jesus say to him? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas has questions. Thomas is probably speaking for all the disciples, right? They just weren't ready. They didn't want to raise their hand, you know, especially Peter. He just went through this whole rooster thing, you know, and he's like, I'm not raising my hand. He's asking just what all of the others are thinking. Lord, where are you going? Lord, how will we get there? We want to be with you, but how do we get there? It's the question of all questions, isn't it? How do I get to heaven? Jesus' statement in verse 4 is clarified in verse 6. What is the where in verse 4? To the Father, to, to heaven. And what is the way in verse 4? Through Jesus himself. He's given the answer in the last part of verse 6. He's answering that for them, but he sticks this thing in between, doesn't he? The I am statements that he has there for us. He says, no one gets there except through me. Jesus says, there's no other way. It is the only way to get there is through me. You have to go through me. Now keep in mind how much of a comfort that that would be for these disciples knowing what's going to happen over the next 24-hour period. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of what anyone says or tells you, remember the only way to get to heaven is through me. He's reiterating that for them so that they can find comfort in that. He does it for us as well. We, just like the disciples, we have to believe. We have to believe He is who He says He is. And he says about himself in verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's not a way, he's not a truth or a life, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way out of your troubled heart. I will guide you to where you need to be. Do you see that connection? He, he is ultimately going to get us to heaven to be with him for eternity but also he's the way because he's the guide for us to get out of this troubled heart situation that we're in he says i am the truth i am the truth 
about your troubled heart. I know what you're troubled about. And I'm really the only one that can get you past that. You can go to all the psychologists that you want to. However, I am the one that can deliver you from that troubled, troubled heart that you have. I will teach you all things that you need to know, he says. I am the truth. Every bit of this, from Genesis to the maps, is his truth. We can trust in that. The promises are there for us. He says, I am the truth. I am this word that you can rest in. And he says, I am the life. In spite of your troubled heart, in spite of what you're going through right now, I am the life. I am the life that you can find even in this circumstance. I will provide you the life that's everlasting. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, believe in God. In the first verse we looked at, believe also in me. He says, I am who I say I am. And then his question to all of us then is, do you believe? Do you believe? Amen?